Welcome to the Gov Innovator Podcast. I'm Andy Feldman. Our topic today is mindfulness practices that can help leaders understand themselves better and be more effective in working with others. Our guest is mindfulness expert, Rabbi Mark Margolius. Here's a clip. There's a wonderful quote from Viktor Frankl, who's famous for his book, Man's Search for Meaning. He was a Holocaust survivor and psychotherapist who really sums it up beautifully and says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space lies my power to choose my response. And in my response lies my growth and my freedom. When we think about the skills that leaders need to be successful, like making good decisions, regulating their emotions and stress, and forming strong and healthy relationships with others, an important foundation for those skills is mindfulness. Our guest today has deep expertise in helping people cultivate self-awareness and mindfulness in order to, to paraphrase his own words, help them become the person they're meant to be in the world, hopefully growing towards that day by day. Rabbi Mark Margolius is the Senior Program Director at the Institute for Jewish Spirituality. He hosts IJS's daily mindfulness meditation sessions and teaches an online program called Awareness in Action, designed to cultivate character through mindfulness. Mark, it's very good to have you with us. Welcome. Thank you so much, Andy. It's really an honor to be here with you. Thank you, Mark. I wanted to say up front that we've got a diverse podcast audience, people of different religions or not religious. Am I right, Mark, that topics we're discussing today will draw at times from Jewish spiritual practice, but the approaches can be useful for anyone? Absolutely. The um, practices that we teach the Institute for Jewish Spirituality are basically practices that are intended to help us cultivate consciousness, awareness, being more awake, more alert, more present. One can understand those in religious terms, spiritual terms, but you can also understand them in completely secular terms as well, just uh, about consciousness. For me personally, that kind of consciousness and awareness is a portal to spiritual connection and spiritual experience, but that isn't the case for everybody, um, but it doesn't need to be. That's really helpful. You've talked about the goal of this work as raising the bar for our behavior and our inner life, but at the same time recognizing that we are flawed, limited mortal human beings who are not capable of perfection, meaning this is not easy work and the goal is all about improvement. You've got a story that captures that well, if you'd share it. Yeah, this is a, and really kind of a turning point for me was that when I was in a, when I was a seminary student, I was mentored by a very renowned rabbi who I really looked up to, who said to me and to the group of other seminarians who were learning with him, that our tradition was about helping, uh, helping people become 15% better human beings. And at the time I was outraged and thought 15%, that is pathetic. Uh, I thought it was about becoming a hundred percent better person. It was really about perfecting ourselves. And it was only after a number, you know, many years of, you know, growing up and having my own hard earned experience of, uh, you know, repeating the same mistakes over and over uh, and realizing how difficult personal change was, even on a micro granular level, you know, on a day-to-day level, how do we get ourselves out of our habits uh, of, 
you know, our reactive habits about how we speak to people and how we treat ourselves and treat others, I realized that actually 15% was way too ambitious, that actually two or 3% would be more realistic and actually attainable. And it might not be so bad, actually, if you had a return of two or 3% or a change of two or 3% that's compounded annually over time. Uh, it's like steering, you know, sometimes people compare it to steering a, you know, a, a big ocean liner, right? If you just change the trajectory a couple of degrees, eventually you're going to wind up in a very different place than where you were headed when you started. And so that was, that's a lesson that I learned. Mark, I want to ask you next about some of the concrete approaches to both mindfulness and self-improvement. One situation is when you can feel yourself about to act in a way that's a script, uh, something you've done over and over before, but you know a different way would be better. How can you catch yourself in that situation? Well, there are, I think, basically three steps in that process. Number one is what you just said is, first of all, just recognizing and being aware, you know, you're talking about awareness, being aware of, oh, I'm, you know, to use the cliched word triggered here, right? This is pushing my buttons. I'm in danger of uh, reacting in a way which is the way I normally react, following the script. I'm on autopilot here. And I put the brakes on for a moment. Just that awareness that this is what is happening is, is a big part of step one. It's as if almost like stepping onto the balcony. You know, I know management techniques is often that uh, idea of stepping up to the balcony. Here it's stepping up to the balcony of the mind as if we're observing or saying like, well, here you go again. You know, we don't do that with an accusatory tone. Here you go again. More like, here you go again. Kind of a more of a loving tone. And so you can just be curious about that. Isn't this interesting that I do this all the time? This is what happens. It's interesting. Um, let, me look, let me look at that more closely instead of, oh, I do this over again. Let me look away. I don't want to see that. What is actually happening here? If I take a moment to breathe, just to take a breath and to be curious about it and say, I am stepping into the pothole again here, that can give me the possibility of not stepping into the pothole. I realize I have a choice, that's step two. What would be a better choice here? And then um, the third step is to think about what is the kind of quality or what's the, what's the kind of person I want to present myself as in this moment? You know, everyone can have their own vocabulary for what that might be. I wanna be, I wanna be kinder, or I wanna be clearer, I wanna be stronger, I wanna be more direct. I want to be more honest. I want to be more generous. I want to be uh, more orderly, more clear-minded. I want to be more responsible. I want to be more trustworthy. You know, make your own list of qualities. Say, okay, now what are the qualities I need right now? Can I make that choice? My mother was an artist, uh, a painter, in fact. So I really like the metaphor of having a palette of oil paints where each of those character traits is a color on that palette. And essentially what I'm asking myself from the moment is, what is the combination of colors that this moment calls for? A little bit of kindness, a little bit of boundaries, a little bit of judgment, a little bit of humility, a little bit of a self-assertion. Mark, I was thinking about that first step of non-judgmental curiosity. And I think I've heard this advice from a few different sources, including 
my recent IJS course, but you can think of those scripts, those bad habits, as like an old friend. You know, when you're the moment you're less empathetic than you could be or should be, um, or more fearful or more distracted, you can say, I recognize you, old friend. I know you. I really love that, actually, to think about those obstacles or hindr- what we call them as hindrances or uh, what we might sometimes think about as kind of our character flaws, actually as our friends. They're little reminders that say, oh, here's an opportunity for me to do something different. Thanks for being my teacher today. Thanks for reminding me of that, right? Which is different than, oh, I hate saying that about myself, right? I don't want anybody to know that about me, that I can be rude, I can be selfish, I can be mean, I can, I can have a lot of qualities that are not so becoming. I want to ask you one final question, Mark, which is to uh, think of some examples in a context that may be most relevant for our podcast audience, which is government. If you're a public executive or a public manager, am I right that this could be applied, for example, in getting mad at a colleague or an employee or a boss and thinking, how could I handle this differently than my first reaction? Yeah, I think the example that I always think about for myself really has to do with email and texting or Slack or whatever people are using or Basecamp, uh, where there's always an ease of responding very quickly to people. And I have caught myself numerous times and not caught myself numerous times when I realize that something someone has said to me in an email or a ping or a text has really irritated me, upset me, and it feels good to fire back, whether it's a snarky comment or something terse or sarcastic uh, or unkind in some way or ungenerous in some way. And if I can catch myself in the moment and say, let's not do anything until tomorrow. There's no need to respond right now. Let's see what it looks like tomorrow. I don't think there's been a single case where I haven't decided either I don't need to say this or I can say it in a very, very different way, that that space creates an opportunity for a different response. There's a wonderful quote from Viktor Frankl, who's famous for his book, Man's Search for Meaning. He was a Holocaust survivor and psychotherapist who really sums it up beautifully and says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space lies my power to choose my response. And in my response lies my growth and my freedom. So um, what you just said about opening a space, that pause after the stimulus, which enables me to choose a response instead of react in that moment, If I can just have a little space, whether by putting my hand on my heart space, taking a few deep breaths, looking out the window, taking a walk around the block, listening to my favorite song on my playlist, something that will just calm the nerves for even a few moments, doesn't have to be long, makes the difference. So um, I know I still probably fire off too many unwise communications in reaction, because it feels good in the moment. It feels good to do that. It feels good to give expression to that. 
um, but I know I don't feel very good about it afterwards. And it certainly doesn't contribute to the you know, health of the workplace. And so I always do better, always, if I wait, put things in the draft folder and decide then later, do I need to say it? Do I need to say it this way? Often, I don't need to say anything. For our listeners, I'll put a link on the podcast website to the IJS website if you want to learn more. My thanks to Rabbi Mark Margolius. Mark, I am grateful for you sharing your knowledge and your wisdom said in such a clear and compelling way. Thank you. It really, Andy, has been my honor to do this and a pleasure to talk to you.